0: joining me for the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. So if we pretend that the Earth is a person, and the Earth is sick, and it's got a high fever that's going higher, there are various ways that different medical modalities would treat that fever. So you might give it give it aspirin, put on cold compresses, drop them in a the cold bath, give it some other drugs to bring the fever down. And of course, if the fever's high enough, that could save our life, the patient's life. But we really want to get to the root of the fever. What's causing it? So today's guest, Jack Allen Weber, is a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine. He's also a poet and most recently a committed climate activist. And he's written a book called Climate Cure, And in the book, he argues that the root cause of the Earth's climate crisis is human crisis, and it's a spiritual crisis, an economic crisis, social crisis. And we need to deal with it on a collective level, but also we need to heal ourselves on an individual level by doing different kinds of deep practices. So we get into all that in our conversation, the urgency the reality of climate change and what we can do as individuals and how we can navigate some of the really hard paradoxes. Like we have to become really frightened in order to believe that this is happening and that the, the stakes are are real and the consequences are are catastrophic and act with optimism and hope. And that's just one of them. So in our conversation, we, we really dive deep into the climate crisis and its origins in our individual and collective psyches. So, without further ado, Jack Adam Weber, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thanks, Howie. Good to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about your your book, Climate Cure: Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet. And let's let's start by um, finding out why you wrote the book. What it, what what motivated you to put all the time and effort into into creating it? Um, I my my passion for the climate crisis grew out of my
1: love of the natural world and, and my love of natural medicine. So, uh, you know, as, as a healer and, and in the context of being a natural healer, I realized at a certain point, uh, about 10 years ago that, um, that we had a much bigger problem on our hands than just, um, human illness and that the earth sort of became my, my VIP patient, if you will. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: And and how 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 did you draw the line between treating individuals and and seeing the systemic root cause? Yeah. I mean, you well, wasn't, was it a root cause? Was it that you were seeing individual sickness and realizing, oh, the individual is no longer the most useful unit of intervention? Or like how, how did how did you draw that line?
1: Yeah, it's not I mean, at first it was it was it was a bit of a line because I was just treating people for the most part. And I've always been an activist to some degree, but you know, the, the, the line was distinct at first when I realized the extent and the, the, you know, the extreme um, urgency of the crisis, the climate crisis. And so obviously now, I mean, because it's human beings that are destroying the planet, there has to be healing for humans and planet, right. That, that relationship, there, there isn't a line per se, but it's, right, it's, a, it's a relationship that, that needs healing. And I think that's what you know, the heart of the book is about is, is reestablishing these, these crucial relationships.
0: Okay, so, so that, that jumps me into my big question. So like, it seems like you're thinking there's, some, there's something misguided or missing about our current climate activism. Because I don't hear people saying we have to heal people. And like, I hear people saying, we need to put, you know, carbon credits into place. We need um, exciting new technologies, like you know, aerosoling the environment or giant tubes or mm-hmm. you know, changing this or that. But it's all they're always policy or technology, they're not about we have you know we have to heal people. So what's right? What, right, uh, right. What, what's missing in the way people mm. look at the climate crisis in your view?
1: Well, I think it's both and with what you just described, right? Um, I think there's certain technologies that, that we can do without, um, for example, AI, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, so, so the, the, the both and is that we need to work on our own integrity so that our actions in the world that we create has more integrity and, at the same time, we're in an acute disease process, right? So in the book, I, I sort of differentiate between root, root cause of disease and branch cause of disease. And, and branch cause of disease isn't any less urgent or important than root cause. So a lot of people just, you know, there's a big sort of meme and, and narrative in the, the climate movement um that we need to address the root cause all the time and and it becomes a real polarized discussion and to me it's misguided in the sense that it's 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 black or white thinking right so that oh let's only address the root and and in medicine that's really not the way it goes so if a patient is is critically ill and needs acute treatment like the earth does right now we have to address the acute issue and sometimes, depending on you know the devils in the detail of, of the particular configuration of the of the process, we can address the root also. But right now, you know, we have to wisely balance. I think the 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 acute treatment and the root treatment and the root treatment that I address in the book is you know reestablishing you know relationships, really working on ourselves, working through our pains and you know, to stop projecting our shadow onto the world, but we also need, you know, a certain amount of technology. And because we created the problem with technology, unfortunately, it it looks like we're going to need technology to, to get out of this thing. So, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a balance and a kind of fungible balance of, of how much technology to apply and where, and how to start just working on our own stuff so that we stop, creating the same distress on the planet.
0: Does
1: that make sense? So,
0: yeah, yeah. So we're uh, I'm guessing about 3 to 4 minutes into this conversation which means mm-hmm. that anyone who was listening who is a climate denialist is has stopped listening and and, <laughs> they're, and they're and and we're doing this by audio only there's no video just because of technological challenges right now which means that we're not going to have the pleasure of of people's ig- ignorant uh, YouTube comments um, <laughs> call, calling for us to be um, publicly shamed or worse. Um, mm-hmm. But can you, for people who like, you know, like the climate, yeah, it's a big thing. I, I believe in it. And I can go entire weeks without really worrying about it. Can mm-hmm. you kind of, I know this isn't sort of like one of your appendices, but can you kind mm-hmm. of give us like a, a, a two minute, you know, dope slap about what the climate crisis is and how serious it is and Mm. how urgently we should be taking it right now. Mm. (laughs) Um,
1: I'll I'll sum it up by saying it's, it's extremely urgent. I I think it's so urgent that I regularly, well, first of all, I, I often also forget about the climate crisis, even though it's my passion and my work right now. I do. I just forget about it. And I think that's, a topic worth picking up a little bit later about how, how easily we forget and how easily we, we ignore what's, what's most urgent and, and why that's the case. Um, so the, the, the crisis is, is so bad that it's, that it's really hard to perceive and to, to, you know, wrap my, my brain around much less my heart around how, how severe it is. And, you know, I, I listened to, to, and I think it was an English or a Scottish professor. He has like a a little YouTube clip and it's, it's, um, footnoted in my book. I I can't remember his name right now. It's like Sir something or other, but he was trying to offer his listeners a conceptualization of, of how much carbon dioxide and that we need to suck out of the atmosphere. And it's some like Astronomical, you know, unfathomable amount, and so it's just one example of like how bad things are. And if you, you know, at the yeah, in the appendix of the book, I sort of I I try to encapsulate the different categories of the crisis of the crisis, like you know, the, the the melting ice, the rising temperatures, the droughts and floods, the deforestation, and all of these are their own dynamics that. Influence one another, right? So we have these feedback loops, and they're like so many thousands of feedback loops now affecting one another. And it really—I mean—the the bad part about that is like, yeah, we're spiraling down in a way. And, and the 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 neat part about that is that it really shows us in real time like how connected everything is. And so you know, all those all those topics, all those you know, ca- interrelated categories of the environment have so many issues going on with them right now. And, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that for an overview that it's, it's unfathomable how crucial it is.
0: Mm. Right. But you know, like I'm, I'm here, it's a beautiful day. It's actually cool for the first time in, in about a week, <laughs> the it rained last night, this cloud cover today. Like yeah, I, you know this is all sort of conceptualization, but it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not like we've lost our homes, right? Right. Well, you haven't. I, you you haven't. I I have. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was my softball setup. Can you talk about okay. that?
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, I just want to I just want to comment on what you just said. Like, you know, I think that that's one of those biases, right? Where our brains. Don't really grasp or our minds, however you want to frame you know frame it they they don't really grasp you know what's going on. I think early in the book, um you might have caught this piece that that i I describe how the climate crisis is happening invisibly, like we see its effects, but our brains don't connect like a flood or you know a tornado or a hurricane to the greenhouse gases that are warming the planet, like causing all this disruption. Right. And evolutionarily, you know, we're you know, our brains are geared towards like, oh, there's a bear charging at me and that bear can kill me. And that's that's the cause of the threat that I'm experiencing. But when we experience climate disaster, like the events that I just described, we don't our brains do not you know, connect that and equate that with the actual cause of the threat. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so when you see the weather at your house, like, like the weather is part of the climate, but, but it's not, it's not like all of it. So that, so that that's another thing that puts us to sleep and why you sort of ask for a dope slap is because we need to keep slapping ourselves. We need to kind of keep, acting counterintuitively and going out of our way to to wake ourselves up about how bad the situation is
0: right it's almost like our 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 brains are not built there was there was no evolutionary advantage when when our brains were evolving for us to consider giant systemic slow moving systems right Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean precisely you know that yeah and that and that's one of the most insidious you know parts about the climate crisis is that you know a lot of people don't pay attention because we're really not geared to pay attention and and most of culture you know with all the stresses that we have anyway like who wants to go out of their way to stress out more right and and so what i try to share in the book is like is reframing that like we can pay attention to these things that are that are that are you know scary and, and quote unquote bad, um, and the experience that we have, the emotional experience that we have in the face of these these bad things, we we can actually leverage those right. So so really appreciating the the dark side of life and the dark side of ourselves and the and the difficulty in life. You know, Rilke, my favorite poet, used to always you know preach you know, staying close to difficulty. And, and that's just really counter counter modern. And it's especially counter
0: American. Mm. Yeah. Cause you could you could also say like me spending six years to get a PhD is also like, there's nothing in my brain that uh, evolutionarily supported that kind of effort. <laughs> right? But, right. But somehow I would, <laughs> somehow I was able to do it. Right. Um, that, that, that simply being predisposed to thinking another way is no excuse at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about your, your, ex, your personal experience? Cause I think, you know, it's, it's like, you know, in my world, I guess in your world too, like people only go for healing when they've gotten a diagnosis or when somebody they love drops dead. It's like, we, you know, we need this, the scare to shake us out of our complacency. So Something clearly, you know, I don't know if you were complacent before that, but, but I think the story can help other people as well. Like, what, 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 how'd you lose your house? Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I lost it to the lava.
1: So I, I don't think there are many people that can say that, um, which is probably a good thing. But I was living on the big island of Hawaii and I built my home in lava zone two and thought I'd be relatively safe. And I had originally planned to build a much smaller house than I did. Not that I ended up building a big house per se, but um, yeah, but the lava came in 2018 and, and none of us thought that it would get to where our farming community was, but it did. And it, it buried our entire community. It took out hundreds of homes. It filled in Kapoho Bay, which is a real gem in Hawaii for anyone that's ever been to the Southeast big island. And that lava flowed right through my property and neighborhood. It was like ground zero for, for the lava flow going into the ocean. And it, and it filled in that bay, you know, a, a mile out. So there's a there's a mile of new land where I lived And, and my property is is under about 100 feet of lava right now.
0: How, how much um, warning did you have?
1: I, I had plenty of warning. I mean, that the lava had already started erupting um, uphill, and so that was going on for weeks. And I, I would be at my property, and I could, you know, go out, you know, the the, you know, in, into the, onto the land there, and just look up at the sky, and it was orange, and and um, you know, the the sky was lit up, and and that went on for weeks, and then there was this huge earthquake that came, I think it was a 6.9. And and my knees were shaking after that. And I decided to evacuate. And then there was a mandatory evacuation after that.
0: Mm. So was there a moment when you were like, this thing that can't happen is happening?
1: Yeah, 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 I, I, I still have that I still can't really grasp that it happened. Um, it's, it's a really weird thing. I think that's, the case with trauma sometimes. And when we experience big losses and, you know, I think a lot of people listening today can relate to, um, you know, losing big time. And, and I think there's certain things that we just never quite really get over or can fully grasp. And that's, that's certainly one of them for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And can you draw the line between uh, the volcanic eruption and climate change? Because I'm, I'm not sure I understand. In what sense? Like how, how does one, how did, how did, how did climate change um, affect the, the, the eruption, the lava flow, the extent, the distance?
1: You mean like geologically?
0: Like, what, like con- convince me that, that this eruption was about climate change and not just like mm. an eruption that just happened.
1: Oh, well, I don't know that it was. I don't know that it was. So um, climate change does have an effect on, on, uh, on the earth's magma and, and volcanic eruptions, but I don't know that the Kilauea lava flow that I experienced had anything to do with climate change. And if you're, if you're getting at, you know, the the climate refugee piece um, you know, I say in the book that, that in effect I was a, I was a climate refugee because I experienced um, a geologic you know a climate event that that destroyed my home and my neighborhood and my community and so it was essentially the equivalent of you know going through like a hurricane or something um where you just get displaced and you lose everything
0: Uh uh-huh gotcha so so just understanding that uh that the the earth can can shake us like fleas yeah that thing is possible Mm -hmm. gotcha So one of the the central recurring uh, frameworks in the book is your your um, work as a Chinese medicine healer. Yeah. Can you you talk about how how you think about healing the client, healing ourselves to healing the planet in terms of Chinese medicine? And this may require like a little a brief primer in, in what Chinese medicine is and does and how it sees the world. Just yeah, God, I'll try a little, to. I, a little mapping.
1: <laughs> the, the the cliff notes part of my brain is already going off. Like, all right, how to synthesize this? Um, you know, I I I th- think most people are familiar with the yin yang symbol, and the yin yang symbol is just this incredible, you know, piece of wisdom that that literally has been a meditation for me for decades. And, and it's a symbol that, that keeps giving to me. So I keep having new epiphanies about it. And essentially the yin yang symbol is, is black and white, right? And, and the black is yin and the yang is, um, is the white part. And that, you know, those, those it's, it's a dialectic, right? So neither yin nor yang can really exist on its own. And, and so in, in one sense, you know, yin represents, interior right the dynamic of interior and yang represents an exterior dynamic and so just you know in the most rudimentary sense the yin yang symbol (coughs) represents our inner outer um, relationship with the world so what happens inside us and what happens externally in the world so you know back in the beginning when you and i were talking about relationship and you know, drawing that line between self and environment. And I kind of said, well, it's there, but it kind of really also doesn't exist. So, so just understanding that that everything is a relationship and everything goes through this natural process of life, death, rebirth, and, and then, you know, life cycle again. And so using the yin yang symbol is a way to express that relationship. And it's also a way to really emphasize the importance of, of paying attention to what I was mentioning before, like difficulty, you know, and, and darkness and, and, and darkness is really important because it's, it's the place of fertility. Right. I mean, um, you know, I'm just recalling a line from one poem. It's, I, I say, you know, no birth happens in the light. And, and so we have to remember this, this, the, the regeneration of yin and yang and yin, the yin yang symbol is, this symbol of of regeneration. And and where I really use it in the book is to go into depth work, right? And and shadow work and dark work and how important that is because when we don't do that, we end up not being people of integrity and creating a world that's non-integral, which creates chaos. And in the book I described the climate crisis as our own our own unreckoned darkness coming back upon us from the outside because we created it
0: mm. so for people who are, might be unfamiliar with uh w- with this type of like uh, you know um i'm trying to look for the, for the for a right word but maybe it's not that important but just sort of the the, the map of the human psyche mm-hmm. like um uh, you know, so when you say, you know, nothing, nothing is birthed in the dark. Wh- wh- what is our dark? What well, mean? nothing is birthed in
1: the light. That was the light. Line. I, yeah. I don't know if that's actually 100 percent true, but I think it's mostly true. Um, so you're saying what what is our light?
0: What? What is our light? What is our darkness? Like what's what's our you know, if, you know, yeah. if I'm so, so like what, where where do I Right, find right. It? So,
1: Right. So I, you know, I think our light is like all the things that we really like about life. I mean, the the light is what makes life worth living. So if there weren't life, I mean, if there weren't light, I mean, life wouldn't really be worth living. And sometimes we have to go through a period of darkness and, and, you know, paradoxically, I mean, it's all about paradox, right? The light, and the dark, we have to embrace that darkness in order to get more light sometimes. And, and our darkness are the things that we want to avoid, the things that we don't want to pay attention to, um, the things we want to be in denial about. And that's, you know, unless we pay attention to, to both of those, we, we end up in trouble. And that's what the yin-yang symbol says. It's a circle, right? And that circle is kind of a, a symbol of perfection as well, right? And it's always in flux around a certain amount of balance. And so um, paying attention to, the things that are good and pleasurable and light and happy versus, you know, the things that are, that are not that is, is crucial. And in our culture and in the world today, it's primarily a, a young oriented culture, right? We just, we want to do what's pleasurable. We want to do what's fast. We want to do what's easy and we want instant gratification. And that is not the way of wisdom. It's not the way of yin yang um, and what that ends up, creating is is severe imbalance so that yang becomes much stronger than yin and yang is heat yang is energy yang is activity and so it's no wonder we have sleep problems right i mean like almost everyone i know has sleep issues right like that's a yin issue because our nervous systems are so sort of jacked up that you know we can't get to sleep well and we have you know, I mean, global warming, climate change itself is a, is a heat issue, right? It's a combustion issue. So, and we're burning up the, the quote unquote resources of our planet, you know, another combustion issue. So does that, does yeah. that sort of respond to that well?
0: Yeah. So, so um, it's almost like, you know, so if, if we were in another universe and we were too, you know, imbalanced with too much yin, we would be freezing or something or, or we'd yeah. be, larded. no, no, exactly.
1: Yeah. Like, like yin, yin is cold and coolness and yang is, is warmth and heat. So that's correct. And you need, you need that balance. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of Chinese medicine, right. I mean, when you, you know, as a, as a clinician is, is balancing, you know, heat and coolness in the body, you know, damp, dampness and dryness and, and, and finding harmony in that. So, so that kind of brings me back to what you were saying before, before that that interior exterior relationship you know vis-a-vis chinese medicine is you know chinese medicine looks at the internal environment of human beings as an extension of the outer environment so what happens in the outer world is what happens inside of us and and that we're we're always subordinate in a sense to that ultimately subordinate to the external world right that Um, you know, so, so we're, we're, we should be humble towards nature and, and Chinese medicine is a relatively gentle way of creating internal environmental harmony. And so just that in itself is literal. And it's also a metaphor for creating external harmony, right? So that's what I look at in the book. And instead of going through like, you know, what foods we should eat or, um, you know, lifestyle habits per se, I, I kind of take a unique view and, and look at it in an emotional sense. And they're, you know, they're yang emotions and they're yin emotions. And the yang emotions are, are, you know, for the most part, ones that are, that are pleasurable. Um, and, and the yin ones are, are not so pleasurable. And, and, and I, and I do that because I've really, I think over the decades, you know, through studies and experience and, you know, practice, really realize how much our emotions guide our actions and our decisions. And that's also, um, you know, some of the pioneering work of Antonio Damasio, a a neuroscientist who has shown that, you know, a lot of our decisions are made, we think we make them consciously, but they're actually already starting in an emotional sense inside of us. And so the, the emotional shadow work is to kind of get into our own terrain to unearth it and to make something fertile and beautiful and sort stuff out and work through our pain so that, so that our decisions are better.
0: Mm. So when we have these emotions, and, and, you know, you, you mentioned like young, young typically are the more pleasurable ones, but one of those is anger, right? Exactly. (laughs) Which can, you know, I've experienced it as pleasure. I've also experienced it as pain. Yeah. Uh, in in myself you say whenever we're not in touch with it in some way we are what projecting it outward we're like we're making messes with it like what what Mm -hmm. happens when we're when we're not fully responsible for our emotions and responsive to them
1: yeah well i think there's you know the dynamic of projection and displacement and and we project you know we project onto others and onto the world you know, the ideas and the patterns and the, the habits that are, that are not, not really helpful. And then we displace onto the world the violence of our unreckoned emotions. So, um, so, for example, you brought up anger. You know, if we, if we haven't, you know, worked with our anger, integrated our anger, vented our anger, gotten down into, you know, some of the grief behind our anger – you know, that's, that's violence. I mean, ang unreckoned anger shows up as, as violence primarily. And we just, you know, that happens like in the most common sense when, you know, someone just goes for a time without addressing issues or even in an intimate relationship when, when issues aren't really, you know, tended to, and then they build up and then you just have this outburst, you have a terrible argument and, um, and it's explosive, right? And so the the idea is to to pay attention to and to tend, you know, the the, the darker side. And, and I don't want this to be confusing for people because anger is a young emotion, but you know it's also a difficult emotion. And that's why I said largely before. But um, you know, anger is part of the wood element, which is also part of creativity. Like the energy of the wood element is really creativity, newness, new beginnings. And, and so that's usually a pleasurable thing. Um, I won't go down the rabbit hole of, of anger and why that's all, you know, associated with that. But anyway, so, so that's what happened, you know, projection and displacement. And that's why I advocate and I give lessons and I, you know, teach in the book, like how to deal with these difficult parts of ourselves so that we can be different people, you know, we can be more effective and we can create a better world
0: so it took me um probably 42 years to find out that i had <laughs> problems with emotions really really it took me 42 years to find out that i actually had them <laughs> <laughs> what and and then it's been you know and i'm now 56 so it's been a 14 years of of working with them and it's pretty it can be pretty lonely work because the world doesn't really understand. And, you know, you talk about all all various different types of bypassing. Like, you know, I I luckily hit a crisis where I couldn't keep going the way I was going, Mm -hmm. but it seems like, and it seems like sort of as our our society may also reach that crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, Like where, where does, where does this come from? Like, I'm like, no, no species that evolved could have evolved with such a sort of terminator psychology. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we have to, we'd have to be more resilient to to trauma, to intergenerational strife. Like, w- what happened to us? Hmm.
1: <laughs> That's a big question. Um, Howie, can you like distill that 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 question maybe into a more specific? Yes. You know,
0: yeah, what's what's the, you know, like I I look at other animals and Mm -hmm. they like, you know, classically like a a gazelle in Africa gets chased by a lion and it escapes. It shakes for a while and then goes back. It it, Mm -hmm. it, it Mm -hmm. achieves an emotional equilibrium. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lions who discipline their cubs, they can, you know, they go back to being cool with each other humans seem to have this capacity to compound trauma from one generation to another, to, to, su- mm-hmm. to such an extent that we're, we're spiraling into killing our planet because right. because we don't know how to deal with it. I'm wondering, I mean, first of all, maybe the question doesn't even matter. Like how did we get mm-hmm. here? Like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we just pull out the arrow. We don't wonder who shot us, but right. excuse me, like, if you're looking also, if you're looking at root causes, then maybe it's an interesting question. Like what happened to us where, where, what are the forces that are, that have created us as a, as a modern Western species that can't Mm -hmm. deal with our emotions? Yeah. Well, we're, we're
1: complex beings and, and, you know, I, I think to pull a piece out of what you said, you know, just, just the trauma piece I think is really important. and, I mean, there are people now that are, that are promoting, you know, the idea of trauma as, as like the cause of the climate crisis. And I definitely think that's a piece of it. And I, I discussed that in the book. Um, but, you know, we, I, it's a, it's a complex inquiry. And I, you know, I, I, I guess my brain is still going back to like, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, I think part of it is that we, you know, to, to sort of, you know, skip over a lot of the details of how and and to look at what, I mean, we have, we live in a traumatized culture. I mean, the way that we've set up the world, the way that we've set up our economy, the way we've set up um, our relationships is is just, it, it, it's a traumatic setup. And, and that relates back to, I think, something we were talking about earlier, just the relationships that we need to restore. And one of those relationships is to ourselves, right? And working on our own trauma, you know, and, and what's really helpful for working with trauma is, is the support of others, right? And also the support of the natural world. So, so that's kind of like spiraling up instead of spiraling down. And I go into, as, as you know, quite a bit of depth in the book about, our pain, right? And how important our pain is and how to deal with our pain. And, and really, you know, trauma causes pain, and it causes emotional dysregulation and, and learning how to work cognitively, like how to think well, and how to think critically, um, as well as how to be really embodied, you know, beneath the level of the conscious, you know, discursive mind to really work through some of the emotional stuff that gets stuck in our bodies and creates, um, you know, dysfunctional feedback loops.
0: All right. So, what, you know, one of the antidotes in my life to negative emotions has been positive emotions, like mm-hmm. actively looking for things that bring me joy, that, that bring me ease, that make me laugh, that make me feel hopeful and optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, given that we're on a planet that's on fire, are those mm-hmm. still okay, or is that like become trivial and frivolous? Like you know, like let's let's keep dancing on the Titanic. Yeah,
1: yeah. Your questions are so good. Um, you know, because they bring up so much nuance, and and they all point to integration. And I think that yes, it's really important to be joyful. I think it's really important to experience pleasure. You know, back to the yin yang thing. It's like you know, life is meaningless if we don't you know have pleasure and that said you know sometimes we have to go through stints of, of being largely in the darkness and and i would say that right now we are largely in the darkness we don't a lot of people in western culture don't recognize that we're in the darkness but we are squarely in the domain of yin and the darkness and part of the problem is that we don't realize it right so in you know, let's face it. Most people are just not going to want to play along and do the game of life unless they have some of their privileges and pleasures. So, it's it's important on a practical sense, and you know, just in terms of you know working together towards the goal that that we need to get to, which is creating a, a habitable future, and and also, um, it's it's important for our own work. So I, I used to say something like, you know, when you go through the dark night of the soul, when you go through a deep stent of grief work, for example, which I outline in the book, when you go through, you know, tough times where you're squarely in the darkness and, and you go through that to, to, to eventually birth more light, right? Like, like we mine more light from the darkness by going through a process of transformation there. So that, you know, during that time, I mean, it's really helpful to be able to to take a walk in the woods, you know, or cuddle up with your, your lover or your dog or, you know, whatever it is and that to have, you know, sensual, um, sensual relief and, and enjoyment. Um, The the problem is getting addicted to that, right? It's like, Oh, I'm just going to keep being pleasurable and experiencing pleasure. Um, while denying the things that i really need to tend to and i think that's where it's a problem and then and and it's a problem personally but it's also a problem collectively because when we do that collectively as a culture so much of so much goes into the shadow right so much untended difficulty goes into the shadow and then that shadow kind of builds this this pressure over time and then it explodes right it explodes and we're experiencing a lot of that shadow coming out now in the pandemic and the polarizations we're seeing so yeah i'll I'll leave it at that
0: yeah but for you know for me personally there are you know if you're familiar with the the saturday night live recurring skit uh, debbie downer Mm -hmm. who you know this character who would no matter what happens can find out what, you know, can express what's wrong with the situation. Like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. it was a beautiful wedding. Oh, but are those, you know, those aren't recyclable or whatever. And just you know, <laughs> has the knack right. of bringing everybody else down to the point where no one wants to be around her. And I feel a lot of that energy in myself. Mm-hmm. So whenever, you know, whenever anything's like, oh, pretty good, like, you know, so in my world of uh, sort of plant based nutrition, someone comes out with, hey, here's a new way to make fake meat that tastes even better. And I'm like, yeah, but it uses this or uh, it's GMO or like whatever, whatever, you know, it's not even whether it's I'm right or wrong. It's just that I had this impulse Mm -hmm. and I can feel how unhelpful that is. Mm. And at the same time, I resist like these sort of um i think you 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 refer to so like enlightenment zealots like the people who are just relentlessly positive about like mm-hmm. oh life is so good and and you know and, and i look at those people and a lot of them are very successful very wealthy mm-hmm. and they have every reason to think oh life is so good mm-hmm. and like i find myself ping-ponging or <laughs> yo-yoing back and forth between those two attitudes and you know when when you use the word integration it really tugs at my heart Mm -hmm. to say like boy i would love to figure out the integration of this sort of you know relentless positivity (laughs) which which definitely has its strong points Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: this you know critique of everything which is definitely Mm -hmm. necessary but Mm -hmm. both of them leave me in a place that feels um disconnected Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I was smiling when you were saying that, because when you're describing that, that, that tussle that you have, I was like, oh, good, how you're, you're integrating yin and yang there. (laughs) And, you know, I, I hear you. And if I, if I could just speak to that a bit, I'd say that, you know, I think a balance is important. And I think it's just as important to tend to happiness and to shut out darkness to enjoy happiness and to give yourself a break and to give the world a break and to give people around us a break and really to be able to embody happiness as we do as as much as we do darker more difficult um, experiences so i think that both are really important and you know just pinging back to to what i was sharing before i think that things become a problem when when they're out of balance and i think collectively we've come to a place where we have shoved too much under the rug or under the carpet. Right. And we've shoved too much into shadow. And so when that happens, it's like we have to swing the pendulum back into really going into the darkness and, and unearthing what's there and reconciling things because we've shoved it away for so long. I mean, it's, it's like anything untended. If you leave anything untended, when you go back to it, there's going to be a lot of work to do and you're going to have to, you know, clean out the closet or the rat's nest, you know, that, that formed in your engine. You know, I, I just had a rat go into my engine last week. Um, you know, you, you, yeah. So you, you have to go and, and tend to that. And so that's what I was saying before. It's like, you know, in the anger discussion we we're having, you know, to, to tend towards the emotions, tend towards the anger, tend towards these tend these things regularly so that they don't build up like that. And, you know, another term that came up when you were speaking is the idea of toxic happiness, right. Or toxic positivity. And I think toxic positivity is that which doesn't acknowledge the, the negative.
0: Mm. So,
1: and, and I think like like ping ponging back and forth is like, why can't that just be normal? Right. I mean, going, going into negativity and criticism, like you were mentioning, but, but using skillfulness, like, like when to make a certain comment, right. Or when to criticize something and when to just sort of let something go and kind of, you know, checking our, our compulsion to be negative or, and, by the same token, checking our compulsion to be positive all the time. I don't think either is ultimately um, the most helpful. Right. So,
0: you know, I, I work with individuals. Uh, we work on mostly personal habits and which immediately in the work I do leads to really deep stuff, right? Um, most people who work on habits tend to work at the level of cognition and behavior. So you, you, you write about, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and and depth work. And Mm -hmm. I started doing the cognitive stuff and found it inadequate. And so I shifted Mm -hmm. to the depth work Mm -hmm. and kind of felt like, well, the cognitive stuff is like fluff and it's um, it's almost (laughs) like it's, you know, it's right-wing psychology and depth stuff is left-wing psychology. Mm-hmm. And in the book, you, you talk of an integration and mm-hmm. just for me personally, like, you know, if someone, if someone is, um, you know, can't stop eating and the cognitive mm-hmm. approach would simply have them question the voice that mm-hmm. said, no, you must eat this junk food now. Mm-hmm. And I want to explore in you know in sort of depth what is what are the physical sensations the emotions the constellation of reality that's brought up while you're experiencing this voice can you tolerate the feelings and sensations and get very very far away from cognition Mm -hmm. and you talk yeah like
1: where does the voice come from
0: (laughs) yeah i don't even i don't even do that but just like if you can't you know if if the voice is something in your body right Mm -hmm. and if you can't uh, be with your body you will never be able to master your behaviors because mm-hmm. you're always going to be running from something but you mm-hmm. you talk about the usefulness of both which intrigues mm-hmm. me because i feel mm-hmm. like I, I may have thrown out some some cognitive baby with with the uh, bath water <laughs> right um
1: well i i used to feel the same way as you do i i was not into cbt and cognitive work at it, it all. And I had the same feeling. I was really turned off by it. I thought it was superficial. I thought it was just like behavior, you know, modification. And I was into depth work um, because I wanted to, you know, sort of rearrange the the blueprint of, of who I was. And, you know, this is, this is a, a, a vulnerable topic for me and I'll just be transparent and vulnerable about it. I, I, I mentioned in the book that I, I went through a breakdown. I had a Um, a a nervous, mental, like total breakdown a number of years ago, um, I have an anxiety disorder, which is, you know, OCD. And OCD kind of popped up in my life unexpectedly in a way I had never experienced it before. And I didn't know what the hell was happening to me. I was in Hawaii. I was on my farm and I totally fell apart. I went into a deep depression. Um, It was terrible. I went into treatment for it and part ironically part of what got me deeper into that depression and worsened my anxiety was my trying to heal myself with my therapist mind you at the time um who didn't really have a sense of what was going on with me even though he was a phd and well experienced but i i started digging, right? It's like, Oh, wow, I must have, you know, unresolved childhood stuff that's that's left. And that's why I'm experiencing all this anxiety and this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and I ended up digging myself into a much deeper hole by trying to do the depth work while I was having experience for which the depth work was not the appropriate therapy. So I was forced to learn CBT. And it saved my life. Because you know, and this pings back again. <clears throat> excuse me to to you know root and 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 branch cause um, and without going into like deep variegations of 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 you know categories there, um, you know like CBT <clears throat> is often a more superficial treatment. Like you can have a CBT session and you can come away with like a whole new way of thinking and practice that. Whereas depth work takes a lot more time. So, you know, and depth work is yin work and and CBT is more yang work, right, in in general. And so it was really helpful for me to to learn CBT because I had to regulate my anxiety. My anxiety was caused by obsessive thoughts and worries that I was having. So I had to learn what was going on like i had an actual i have an actual disorder in that sense and so i had to regulate learn how to regulate my thinking in a way that i had never had to do in my entire life you know at the age of almost 50 and that cognitive work is also crucial for depression and for coming out of depression because you have to do what's counterintuitive i've always done what was intuitive depth work was always intuitive but when you get into some dire straits with, you know, mental illness and and just panic or, you know, like a lot of people became have become really dysregulated through the pandemic. It's like learning CBT and learning how to work cognitively gets you out of that acute crisis and gives you some distance, so you're not all wrapped up in the frame of a dysfunctional cycle that you're not you're not able to see objectively. So in, in that sense, and so that said, even when doing depth work, I, I didn't have to do this per se when I went through my depth work, But um, but I've worked with people where it is important, where you just have to stand back from embodying everything so much because when you're embodied, you're you're caught up in whatever's happening in the body. You're caught up in the emotions, you're caught up in the experience, you're caught up in working through and processing whatever it is. And there isn't a lot of distance, right? And and so sometimes when people get get wrapped up and, and too bogged down in that, it's really important to to come back, to to step, be able to cognitively step out of what you're in and and to 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 view the territory so that you can, you know, have your compass you know, realign to, to where you need to go. And just a last thought on that is, you know, back to the happiness thing we were talking about, like, is it okay to, you know, have pleasure and to have happiness and pleasurable things in, in the midst of, of crisis. And, you know, this is an example of where it's also really important to do that. Like part of stepping back is like not thinking about your darkness for a while. So if you're going through grief work and it's like, you can just intuitively sense when you've gotten to a place where it's like, okay, I need a break, right? And you go have fun or do something enjoyable or pleasurable or mindless. So that's that's how those help. And, and, and it helps you recharge. It helps you get a break so that you can continue the longer yin process of depth work by being able to take breaks and to to notice when you get too wrapped up in stuff.
0: Mm. So I'm really excited because you're coming back to this idea of root and branch healing. And I'm realizing like that has become uh, a great um, a controversy in, let's say, the healing world. Maybe, you know, maybe not in, in sort of your medical world, but, you know, in my world of, like, wellness, anyone who needs branch healing can, be, can feel really ostracized, right? Because yeah. they failed, yeah. you know? And so I see, like, if someone posts an article, let's say, around COVID, saying that actually um, it's, it's related to our prior health status and that the people who are not obese and who are eating well and mm. managing stress tend huh. to not do as badly. Huh. You, get, you get a lot of sort of public health figures screaming that this is blaming the victim, mm-hmm. right? And when, when we talk about things like masks and vaccines, um, there was a shockingly large percentage of my sort of vegan, plant-based, wellness, lifestyle medicine community that refused to accept that anything coming out of pharma could possibly be good. Mm-hmm. And that, well, you know, that, that it was a big conspiracy to keep us sick and confused. Mm-hmm. And... And like I'm I'm in the middle and I realize like whatever I say, someone's gonna shoot at me. (laughs) So I've Mm -hmm. I've gotten very sort of very quiet. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. but you know, but the you know, if the answer is integration, like both and Mm -hmm. then we can start having like intelligent conversations again. And I know, you know, Mm you you your uh, blog, uh, you write a lot about sort of the insanity that's overcome a lot of the 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 spiritual movement. And I wonder. If if this, you know, we weren't necessarily going to talk about it, but do you see that playing a role in, in our climate crisis and in potentially healing? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, to me, it
1: comes back to bypassing. And I, I have a subsection in one of the first chapters in the book. It's something like, um, what is it? Uh, I can't remember what it is, but it, 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 like like new age thinking and eco-side it's it's something like that and you know it's 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 bypassing like the, the they're oh gosh <sighs> how to approach this um so i i think that the, the the spiritual community does tend towards what's called spiritual bypassing you know what that is right yeah
0: yeah let's let's not let's not assume that that people do can you um okay so so
1: spiritual bypassing is 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 using spiritual precepts and beliefs and imagination to call it call a spade a spade to avoid difficulty and to avoid things that um that cause one to be more earthy and embodied and you know reality based so it's it's, it's a way to just go on to that young side of the spectrum. You know, it's, it's part and parcel of, of our whole cultural dynamic of denying the darkness and, and embracing the light and the spiritual bypassing, you know, community hangs out in, in the light part and they don't want to go into the darkness part. and, and, You know, what I said earlier is that when we don't pay attention to the darkness, we don't deal with reality, we don't deal with our problems, they mount and they grow and they come storming back to get us. And I see that as the root cause of the climate crisis. So, you know, that little subsection of the book, you know, ecocide is the killing of the natural environment. And so if you're just oriented towards the light and pleasure and happiness, you're, cons- you're usually consuming a lot of things, right? So it's like we consume things to become happy. And when we, when we go through a period of, of fasting, you know, in, a, in a broad sense, like we're not consuming as much. And that's part of the degrowth movement, which is a yin kind of movement, which I, which I heavily endorse, of using a lot less stuff. When you start using a lot less stuff, you realize like, wow, you know, the, the stuff that I was consuming brought me a lot of joy and happiness and pleasure and so learning to live with less you know brings up emotional transformation in the sense that you might find yourself not as happy and so that's why learning to 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 be more deeply fulfilled versus superficially happy is so important for addressing the climate crisis because it requires us to degrow and to have less and, are, and people don't want to do that because it brings up emotional challenges of feeling like deprived or less than, or, you know, sad or depressed or whatever. And it's like, we've got to make friends with that stuff, you know, and find out how to, you know, reframe having less into, you know, having more of the things that really sustain and
0: fulfill us. Mm, Yeah, because I remember a bunch of years ago, probably 10 years ago, um, we, you know, I had sort of youngish kids at home. So I got to be a little bit of a dictator. And I was like, we are not going to contribute to this, you know, environmental crisis, we are going to take shorter showers. And we're going to and we -hmm. we actually started like, when there was a bath, I would have like five gallon buckets, and we would use the bath (laughs) water to flush the toilet. And, you know, we got our we got our um, our energy consumption, our Duke energy bill was down to like $24 a month. Like I would walk around literally like turning off lights after people. Mm -hmm. And after (laughs) after a while, like somebody came to visit and he's like, you guys are living in misery Mm -hmm. and like the world isn't changing. Like nothing, like nothing you're doing is going to, going to have the slightest impact Mm -hmm. except you're making yourselves miserable. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but, 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 you know, like, Mm -hmm what's the, you know, what's the solution? Like, you know, I don't, I don't want to like say, Oh, well, we're just going to consume because because the problem is so much bigger than me. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, realistically me, you know, flushing toilets with bathwater is like a literal drop in the bucket. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, not doing it also didn't feel right. Like saying, Oh, well, every, you know, full steam ahead, everything's cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so how to reconcile that? Like where's the rub and all that?
0: Yeah. Where, where, where is, where's is there integration there? Mm-hmm.
1: Another juicy, juicy uh, issue you present. So I used to do all that same stuff too. And, um, and I still do it to a degree. And I, I think that, you know, there's, there's to answer that. I think there there's small personal world um, considerations with that. And then larger world considerations with that. So that friend that came over to your house and said, Hey, you're just making yourself miserable and you're not really contributing. You're not making a dent in the, in the greater picture. And, and, and that's true, right? That's true. But I think there's, but it's also a superficial view. It's not really understanding like the personal growth that happens when you go through minimizing like that right? I mean, you went through not only a physical process and what you did in your home with your children, but I imagine it brought up, you know, it, it brings up new awareness and, and maybe it brought up some difficulty and, and, you know, maybe you were really miserable in certain ways. And, you know, but it's like, I think it's really sacred to make sacrifices, right? And that's where the word comes from. Sacrifice comes from sacred. And, and and to to make our world sacred again, we have to make sacrifices. And so whether or not, you know, you're bucketing out your shower water to flush the toilet makes a big difference in the bigger picture, you are going through a sacred initiation in being in alignment with what's going on in the world. And I think that has a lot of mental health benefits. Um you know, it may not feel so great, but you know, a little reframing, right? Cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy of of reframing that can make it an exciting thing. And like, yeah, like this is the way to live. And I feel in alignment with, with reality. And, you know, at the same time, you know, that, that there are exceptions that come around every once in a while. So, you know, our individual actions don't really have a big effect on, on, you know, the the bigger churning that's out there, but then, you look at someone like Greta Thunberg, right? I mean, Greta's this little girl that did her own little thing, like she did these individual actions of striking in front of her school or wherever it was, um, you know, in Sweden. And and look at look at the effect that it's had. So you never know, like, when a quote unquote miracle is going to happen. Mm. And and I think there are lots of you know hidden yin lessons in in learning how to to make healthy sacrifices.
0: Hmm. Um, so I, I can't remember what book it was. It might have been a uh, 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 what's that? Uh, the Power of Now, oh, Eckhart Tolle mm-hmm. might have been one of his books. Where are talking about like it's it's very hard for people to think about making do with less when really they have absolutely nothing <laughs> like they, yeah. they have, they have yeah.
1: stuff. And that's all.
0: Yeah. Right? No,
1: for sure. That's a great point. I, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's, that's I'm just offering it to you.
1: It's, Oh, well, well, yeah. I mean, it brings up a great point. I mean, the people that need to degrow are the people that, you know, like you and me, like people of privilege. Right. And, and, and people above us who have even more and live more luxuriant lifestyles. I mean, I live in my van and a little 17 foot trailer, like that's my post lava life. And it's also, you know, it's, consistent with what i just shared it's it's also life where it's like i lost everything and i landed up in this situation and it's like oh wow like i'm in alignment like here i am and i'm going to keep my life simple like this and so sometimes catastrophe can really like put us in the right place and you know i find that that's that's happened for myself but anyway back to what you were saying that you know the people that you know people who are genuinely poor and people that that you know can't really give up much more, and and don't have the time or the the mind space to to largely dedicate themselves to minimizing their life even further. You know, and, and a lot of those people are are in other countries. There you know a lot of in the United States, but you know, largely you know, numbers wise, they're, they're in other, you know, poor second, third world countries, and they contribute much less to the climate crisis. So the people that really need to get ourselves, you know, a, a, a dope slap, like you said, are, are are the people, you know, who are, who are doing most of the polluting.
0: Hmm. So who, who are you hoping will, will read this book? Cause this is, this is, we're talking on, what's today, Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Um, Tuesday. Like three three days ago, Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and like I th- like like if you know if if we're looking at sort of um, you know the inequalities, I'm guessing that the inequality, the financial inequality between you know the the the, the 34 billionaire families who's who own more than the rest of us combined. Mm-hmm. Um, also have an outsized in fact impact on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like are, are, are you hoping like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett and Richard Branson read your book, <laughs> or, 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 or somehow can can the rest of us Greta Thunberg our way into their consciousness, <laughs> or are they st- are, are they all going to play like Tony Stark and and try to fix things with with space tubes?
1: Yeah, I tried to get my book to Oprah. I haven't I haven't succeeded yet. I have some <clears throat> some. Uh, some private channels. I'm trying to get it to her, but um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't expect those people to, to, to get the book, but I think that the more, you know, ordinary or semi non-ordinary people like you and me that, that, that start to, you know, spread the word about what we need to do and where our focus can be and, and the, the kinds of ways day in and day out that we need to, um, to live our lives, then I think that that will trickle up. Right. And, and I think that those people have, um, you know, can have good intentions and, and actually want to do good. And I think that when they start seeing the world change around them, that, that they will change also.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, like, the, the the Greta Thunberg example really points out to how how unlikely possibilities can occur, right? Like, <laughs> right. and 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 I think you know you you mentioned that like her superpower was was sort of her a lot of those negative emotions, exactly. Like like, like the, Greta, yeah, Greta has OCD and
1: depression, and she was in a depression, and her climate activism kind of like brought her out of that.
0: Yeah. And, and was, you know, it was almost like, okay, now I'm in alignment with reality. Mm-hmm. Like if I think my depression is about what, you know, I am not wearing the same clothes as the other kids or the boy didn't like me or, mm-hmm. or whatever, like, you know, like to, to you, you know, you talk about in the book this idea of adaptive hurt, which is, mm-hmm. I am thinking like, okay, so I touch the hot stove and I pull my hand away Mm-hmm. And like that pain is good, right? Because mm-hmm. it, t- right. t- it protects me. And most of us, you know, like, I guess you, you know, have an innate capacity to be empathetic towards other living creatures, whether it's humans or, or mm-hmm. animals or even ecosystems. And they're like, it's mm-hmm. adaptive for humans mm-hmm. to feel when our environment is in pain. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so that we can do something about it because that's that environment exactly. is, is keeping us alive and and right. you know so if if it's like you know i feel like there's such deep grief in all of us whether it's acknowledged mm-hmm. or not and, and not paying attention to it and denying it and try, medicating it or distracting it away mm-hmm. is is leading to the, you know, the rubber band is being pulled, stretched ever, ever mm-hmm. thinner, the, the the blowback is going to be even harder.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Howie. And that, that medication thing that, that you just mentioned is, is just wanting to stay in that yawn cycle, right? And wanting to stay in pleasure and not wanting to feel those things. And it, you know, if I can just reflect, share a, a reflection on what you shared, is that, you know, I think we forget that the wisdom of the emotions, right? And, you know, emotional intelligence, which is something I discuss at length in the book and vis-a-vis the climate crisis, is is really forgotten. It's like, we just want to be happy. Like, you know, America's collective emotional intelligence is like, hey, let's be happy. And, you know, how many happiness books have been published? I mean, it's ridiculous. So, like, that's that's sort of like most of our emotional intelligence. And we forget that, that, that our emotions are a, a feedback mechanism, right? I mean, they are interface with the environment so that when, when we feel grief or when we feel remorse and we feel um, guilt and anger and fear, even anxiety, you know, hopelessness. I mean these things are cues. This is wisdom we're receiving and our culture just just plows right over that. It's like forget all that negative stuff. You know, let's just be happy and let's create the American dream and the good life and prosperity. And you know I I call it rate, I think in the book I call it raiding the pantry. You know, it's like we've been raiding the pantry for since the industrial revolution and 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 it is now catching up with this. So it's it's like, you know, and you and I have talked about Steven Pinker, and that's one of my criticisms of him, is that he you know he's he's toxically positive to me and he's a positive psychologist. And his what what bugs me about him is he's he's so ignorant or apparently ignorant of the yin side of things. Of the dark side of things, of the sacrifices we have to make, and and he just touts modern society and capitalism and progress and human ingenuity without looking at its dark side, and and that is not that is not a slogan of our times. It's not a slogan for our times. Um, so you know, reclaiming the 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 intelligence in our emotions and and paying attention to them and creating a culture. Where emotional intelligence is 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 valued and held sacred, so that we can live in balance and 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 heed and act in accordance with the cues that are in our, in our own body, which which are our interface with the natural world. Mm.
0: So there's so much here. So obviously, people need to go get your book, <laughs> climate cure and 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 read it and and really study it as a you know, as a a course in, mm-hmm. in self reflection and, and growth, can you until until people run to their local bookstore or order it online and and get it? Can you give people like one thing to do? Because you know your chapters have exercises in them, mm-hmm. journaling or this or that. They're in you know in uh, in offsets is there something that you think like every everyone listening could benefit from just taking five or 10 minutes and doing like right now when they uh, stop listening?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to pull one thing out, but, but maybe I can give a, a, a short menu um, concisely of, of things that people can do and just, you know, pick one or, or pick more. Um, you know, I think, that that one that the first one that comes up really is an is an action thing and it's and it's try to get involved with your local government and that's really important nowadays lobby your local government to declare a climate emergency as, if it hasn't already and to begin to institute policies in your town or city to reduce carbon emissions and Um, another choice is to spend more time outdoors, spend more time connected to nature. If you live in the city, there are ways that you can still focus even on the smallest bit of nature and find fascination and awe. Um, and you know, I have some exercises for that in the book. Another thing you can do is just begin to pay more attention to your emotions, especially when you feel badly about something and try to tolerate just one or two seconds more, five seconds more of something that feels bad instead of covering it over with something positive. Um, And and the last choice would be to begin to connect with others and to sit in, you know, find groups of people where people are talking about meaningful things and speaking from the heart and really connecting with one another um, to start building a sense of community and support And that's that has so many hidden gems in it. Um, So I, those are the first things that that really come to me as choices for things for people to do.
0: Beautiful. I'll uh, I'll I'll list those at the bottom of the show notes, and uh, and hope uh, hope that the words, you know, ripple out widely, and that we we can each be our own little Greta. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, yes. And, and Howard, I just, I just want to say a word to you of appreciation and gratitude. This is the most stimulating and thought provoking and challenging interview that I think I've not interviewed interview slash discussion that, that I've had. And I really, really appreciate your your mind and your depth and your, compassion and your your honesty and taking the time to actually look at the book and pull out some gems that that have just not been pulled out for me to discuss in in public so thank you for for all of that
0: well you're welcome and thank thank you for saying so i feel yeah i feel, I feel very young right now you feel very young yeah
1: it's it's appropriate um
0: Great. So the, again, the book is called Climate Cure. If people want to stay in touch with you, you have a, a very thought-provoking uh, uh, website. You can share with mm-hmm. that as well. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Share the website. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's it's my name, Jack Adam Weber, with one B in Weber. dot com, and I have a blog there, and I contribute to it regularly. and um, it, and and that blog is not so much about the stuff that we've talked about around the climate crisis per se but it's sort of applying a lot of these principles and perspectives to you know the the day-to-day things that we're going through um with you know especially these days with the pandemic I'm blogging a lot about vaccines and about choice and um you know science and critical thinking and and uh criticizing the new age movement um as I uh, gently as I can.
0: <laughs> it's, it's refreshing. It's fun. And, and if you're, you know, I don't know if you're, you're Facebook, I don't know if we're just friends or if it's a public page, but comment section there is like a blood sport.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah. It's especially lately. So yeah, we're friends on Facebook, you and I, and, and most of my Facebook posts are, are public and people can go there and, and, and join in. It'd be great to, to hear some new voices. Um, So that's Jack Adam Weber in Ojai. And you can probably just find my personal page on on Facebook.
0: Great. I want to end with one one question that I used Mm -hmm. to ask a lot. And then I just forgot about it. Uh, Your your talk of sort of joy and grief reminded Mm -hmm. me. Any music you're listening to or that that Mm. you think um, other people might not know about and would benefit from hearing? (laughs)
1: That's a great question. Um, th- To be honest with you, I don't listen to a lot of music and, but I, but coincidentally, I've, li- are you like spying on me, Howie? Um, sure. Yeah. I've, I've listened to more music in the last month than I have like in the last couple of years. And I've really been enjoying the, the Waylon Jennings um, and Ruth Moody. I, are, do you know their
0: music? Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of a, amazing podcast about the history of country music. And he's been alluding to Waylon Jennings and playing uh. some of the songs, but I haven't gotten into the the depths of sort of the outlaw and the Bakersfield sound yet. So I've got to say, no, I'm not really.
1: Yeah. So this, this is the Waylon Jennings G J E N N I E apostrophe S or S anyway. And Ruth Moody is sort of like the, 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 the face of the band and it's, and it's three women. Sometimes they have some men, sometimes they invite some men and their, their music is just, just beautiful. And it's really been moving and grooving with me lately. And Ruth Moody has some of her, her own, you know, she's gone out on her own and, and done some collaborations with um, uh, the guitarist and singer from Dire Straits. Uh, what's his Mark, name? Mark, Mark Knopfler. Exactly. Oh, it, listen to the song Pockets that, that she does with Mark Knopfler and
0: it, it's beautiful.
1: So that, that's, that's, that's my musical push.
0: Awesome. I'm going to go listen. Cause I was thinking like, like I've been listening to a lot more music lately, both for grief and joy. Mm. I've been beautiful. Cause you know, music is like the key that can, Mm -hmm. you know, put me there. Wherever the there is.
1: Yeah yeah and, and and her music and the Wayland Jennings music you know spans the spectrum i mean it's it's so heartfelt and that it's it just touches me very deeply Great. And it's beautiful I'll, to listen to
0: thank you I'll, I'll, yeah I'll, go, you know, I'll add some links for for people to discover it as well so jack right. adam weber thank you so much for writing this book for being so thoughtful in mm. uh, and generous and in, mm. in your uh, in your advocacy and activism and for taking the time today yeah
1: you're you're welcome and and thank you and i I would love to do this again its it's just yeah it this this has been tops for me and and thanks for being you and and contributing so much to it
0: yeah, well, you know what if the climate crisis gets solved quickly, we'll find something else to talk about and if not <laughs>
1: we'll come, we'll
0: come back to this
1: yeah I hope that's the case. We can, talk, we can have a whole podcast talking about music. Okay. I mean, okay. We, yeah, we, 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 we will have earned hanging out in, in the yacht stage for, for a whole hour of a podcast.
0: Wow, okay. I can, I can just taste it. So Yeah.
1: again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, Howie. Talk to you soon. Thanks.
0: Take care. All right, if you want to follow up um, with some of the links to see Jack's book, you can find all the show notes at plantyourself.com slash 466. You should also check out jackadamweber.com to see more of the offerings and work that he does. All right, so what's going on here? Garden news. We had um, a cream sauce with basil from the garden the other night. It was sort of a a soba Alfredo with this green... uh, Tofu, cashew, um, brags, and uh, nutritional yeast sauce, but uh, tight, brightly tinted green from the basil in the garden, and the blueberries did not ripen. We were away in uh, in Oregon for ten days, and I was hoping that they would uh, hold off until we got back, and they have done so. So it's been pretty cool, and it's overcast today. So um, we, it looks like we're going to get our blueberries around the usual time, around uh, mid June. And what else is growing? I don't know. We're doing a lot of um, weeding. And when I say we, I mean Mia. (laughs) Uh, She's uh, really making that garden pop right now. And in um, movement news, um, I'm getting the hang of kettlebell snatches. And my back is starting to feel stronger. And I'm able to hold. I'm doing um, a kind of a down dog, but lifting my feet up against the wall and I'm able to hold that. My arms aren't aren't straight, apparently, but they're getting stronger, I'm able to hold it for almost twenty five seconds now before I collapse and then uh, crawl back into a regular down dog. So definitely feeling um, my my alignment getting better. And when I play Ultimate Frisbee, I can throw it farther. So my hips are popping. Uh, I have a little bit more freedom range of motion um, in my uh, in my spinal twist. And so things are definitely coming along. Have not been running, um, still still rehabbing the knee. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song Sabali Don, the Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself Podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mauro, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Berenst, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonoski, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkus, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Visov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Charlie, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Iza Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley Elizabeth Rothschild Anne Jessie Cheryl Dwyer Jenny Hazleton Peter W. Evans Dennis Byrd Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bicorni, Steven Lennon, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi.